You're listening to the Unreasonable Fridays Podcast Network. I'm now in a place where it's like, yo, this person that was a huge part of my childhood is is just gone. And things that I thought I would get to experience, I'm not going to get to experience now. Right. And that's I'm I'm still working through that. Right. I'm working through like all the complexities of his legacy. Great basketball player, kind of a sociopath committed sexual assault like all of these things are true and all of these things like they're real and they happened yeah. and i don't think it does anyone any favors to sort of like try to gloss over one aspect or um sort of make him his worst moment especially since i yeah it it it's a lot those things happened all those things happened he is all of those things um so today I actually played live for the first time in like months. Right. And, you know, I just happened in the the lobby I'm in with the randos. I just happened to get a dude with a Kobe jersey. And I'm like, yep, this is what breaks me. This shit right here. Right. But it got me thinking. The Because, like, Kobe wasn't just a, a sports figure arguably Kobe is the one that brought NBA 2K like back to relevance. Right. Um, so the best way for video games, if they want to honor Kobe, um, don't do what 2K did where they just had a bunch, they just gave out Kobe jerseys and said, here, go play, go be Kobe. Cause that's cool. Right. Like that, what 2K did just felt really cheap. Like what, what the community did felt organic, but what the the game itself did just felt hollow. I didn't even um, know that it did that. Um, I actually, you know what? No, I think they've done something since. I think they've actually done like an in-game tribute where they just took the the intro from one of the old two Ks and replayed it. And I think that's kind of cool. But what they did in the beginning, where they just like gave out Kobe emails, and it's like, like this feels. I don't know. It just didn't. It didn't rub me the right way. But the actual way, if we want to honor Kobe Bryant's legacy in video game form, this is the actual way to do it. I've actually put a lot of thought into this. Um, incorporate the WNBA into these games. Don't just make it, uh, oh, you can pick a WNBA team and do, you know, play a quick game with the WNBA. Like, don't, don't do that. That's half-hearted. That's lazy. And that's bullshit. If we really want to honor Kobe's legacy, because Kobe, one of the things that mattered to him was promoting the WNBA and making sure that they got as much shine as the NBA. Right. So if we truly want to honor Kobe's legacy, the next iteration of live 2K or whatever that comes out, go all in on the WNBA. Partner with Adidas, Beyonce, Ivy Park. Make a WNBA My Career where you can create your own WNBA player. Have her go through the ranks of the WNBA. The same things we do for male my career, my player, the one, whatever you want to call it, women should have that experience too. If you want to have a, um, a WNBA player have that experience, they should be able to have that too. I think that's how you honor Kobe's legacy. Yo, that's a really good idea. I didn't even realize that. I like. I mean, I knew it wasn't a thing, but like, I didn't ever like sit and go. There's no WNBA game. <laughs> No, there are, but the, there's no proper WNBA game. It's right, a, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying there's no the there's no WNBA game. Oh yeah, they just those uh, those ladies just start. Excuse me, those ladies just started making six figures to a to a player about a month ago. 
Right. Yeah. right. So the high end just started making six figures. Right. There yeah. was a, there was that, a whole, that's that's there, sort of the we got to make sure we don't fall into the corporate propaganda where they say and now they make six figures. No, your max salaries are making six figures. Oh, I thought it was the average. About, oh, because mm-hmm. I know. Okay, because I was about to say this. I and on uh, yeah, I I know I know there was a thing where a lot of players were simply playing in Russia where they pay them three times as much. Oh yeah, a lot of so them were just for, un, until this latest this latest CBA um, agreement. American women who played in the WNBA did it because they believed in the WNBA. There is no money for them to be made in the WNBA. The money for them right. is overseas. It's in Europe. It's in Russia. It's in China. Um, right. It's not here. They play here because they believe in this. Right. Um, and we've just been taking them for granted. Right. Um, Shit. Funny. Don't, well, not. Don't, don't some of them even go out of country like off season? Oh yeah. Yeah, like the the so the. NBA, the WNBA season wrapped um, a couple months ago, right? Right after that, the Mystics won. They couldn't have the parade right afterwards because so many of the players had to go overseas. Right. They immediately start playing overseas as soon as Right. Right. That's what I was like, wait, like, that's like, cause I, I, I just remembered it's a lot like hockey where um, <laughs> a lot of players will just be like, well, and now I'm just leaving the U.S. for forever because hockey is more all year round. <laughs> but they're like, okay, uh, now to go make more money away from here. Right. Um, and to your question about there being no WNBA game, the closest experience that you have is Live 19. Not 2K20 because 2K20 just did less than what Live 19 did. Live 19 not only has the WNBA to select in online modes and in um, play now modes, you can also create um, a woman avatar and take her online and go through the street story mode. But you can't do a WNBA My Career mode. But you can do basically everything with your woman avatar except the My Career. You can take her online. You can level her up. You can do the street story. You can unlock everything. So... That's the closest thing you can get. And, you know, you really want to honor Kobe's legacy video games? Just just do it. Just do the WNBA My Career Mode. Like, the, the blueprint to make it successful is not hard. It's actually laughably easy. Right. It's not like Adidas didn't just come out with a brand new Ivy Park line. Like, the first time Ivy Park came out, I was like, yo, if 2K partnered with Adidas to have Ivy Park in-game, for your avatar, like it's not, this isn't hard. It's just a willful decision to not do it. It's funny, um, from my get, from what I see, um, 2K in particular kowtows to the negative of the vocal minority. So the mm-hmm. people, the people that, the people that would, the people that make jokes at the expense of the WNBA being in the game are the reasons why they don't care about the WNBA being in their game. So they specifically uh, listen to those people as opposed to doing the right thing and being on the correct side of history and also just stop fucking around. So When Live announced that that's what they were going to do, their Reddit, um, I remember this when it happened, a few people were making jokes and they were banned from the Reddit. Right. And the mods came down and said, we're not going to tolerate this. 
Right. Right. Like you, you can, you can not like the implementation. You can talk to us about, you know, that, but this is a thing that's happening. We're not going to tolerate certain things. So you got two choices. You can get on or get gone. My favorite thing is that some of the WNBA players, like it, you can play with them, like in the street ball mode, right? Yeah. So you can, you can play with the WNBA players in the street ball mode. One thing I was, I was disappointed in, there's a mode in live 19 where you can collect historic players to build your team. Right. And they have current WNBA players. Um, also, F you, Maya Moore. Maya Moore is a goddamn cheat code in Live 19. Like, she's Jordan. Right. That's like, what you I, remember that, Jordan when he was number 23 and they couldn't use his name? I remember. That's what I was saying is I could have sworn that one of the WNBA players is actually broken in the game and the best player in the game to you. Yes. No, it's Maya Moore. If you, like, Maya Moore amongst the community is banned. Like, you can't use Maya Moore. She's unfair. She's literally unguardable. Right. Like take take your Scotty Pippins, your Gary Paytons. No, she will just cook them. It's like, okay, dog, this isn't fair. You can't do this. This is not fair. Um, but they don't have any historic. Well, no, I uh, you know, I haven't checked the roster since the latest update. They might have added historic WNBA players, but I was hoping I could build a team with David Robinson, Tim Duncan, Lisa Leslie, Candace Parker, and myself. Because that is just what do you do? You pray, that's what you do. Is, what, what would you do? You walk up to a court and Tim Duncan, David Robinson, Lisa Leslie, and Candace Parker say, okay, we got next. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, this, this is all not my lane. Right. Um, it's yeah, a- wait, which is great because I'm like, sports games are like, I, I have the time to forget that sports games exist. I mean... But like they're not bad. They're just I'm not good at them, and well, no, I well, can't wrap my brain around them. So I just don't well, NBA, play them or think about them. Well, NBA 2K is an NBA 2K is an active scam. Yes, um, to yes be, it that is. is it is an active. It is a um. Wait, how is it an active scam? It is a full price game with a free to play model that is relentless, and um, there's not enough pushback. You know how usually when you are even sniffing at this point in 2020, if you are sniffing a scam, your player base will set your Reddit on fire. You'll, they will, they will arrive with the pitchforks. They will set your place of business on fire. Um, NBA 2K is the only um, game where everyone is being scammed, but no, there's just not enough resistance from the audience. So they're just getting speed bagged for all their money. In such a way that it's like if you're not playing the game and if you're not part of the ecosystem, then you're like, hey, guys, why are you guys all spending one hundred and sixty dollars a year on this game every year? And no one can give you a decent answer and no one seems to stop buying it. And the negativity that it garners from whatever is wrong with the game and the scam just makes more people buy it. Like, it's fascinating to me. It's a here's the worst part. The players are aware that they're being scammed. Right. They complain that they're being scammed while handing over their money. Right. And it's even worse. It is worse in 2K20 because 2K20, it is not a viable. The only viable option to level your player is either play for 200 hours or buy virtual currency to level up your player. Right. Like that. Those are your options. Yes. You, you cannot actively progress in the game without giving the game more money. Oh, that. Oh, right. oh, it's a game you I, might. Yeah, it's, it's a, that's not a free to play model. That's a pay to play model with a game <laughs> that you have to buy. 
Bye. Right. Yes. So, so hold on. Like we're, we're, we're going to have to do, we're going to have to do a lingo check here. So free to play is specifically like, as it says, the game is free to play. Like you can get ahead without spending money. Right. Most of the money in free to play games has actually come from cosmetics that don't mean anything. Um, ah, I see. Buy to play is you buy the game and it's you pay free, it. like and oh. you play it and and that's it. There might be some like additional stuff that you can get, but it's not necessary. It's you buy it, you can play it. Right. 100%. Pay to play is where you have to pay money to succeed in the game. So like there may be like some free to play elements, but the end line is is that at some point you have to drop money to do anything. Oh. So there's a lot of like issues where there's free to play games, but they're so heavy in microtransaction and pay to play features that it's really hard to not impossible, but exponent like more difficult than it's worth to actually play it free to play. Right. Which is what a lot of like the mobile games that I end up playing are because I'm ridiculous and I still usually pay the uh, play them free to play. Right. Um, so that that so what this sounds like is it's a buy to play game like you buy the game but you still have to continue paying money after you've bought the game to actually succeed yes. playing it. Yes. If, if you want to do any game modes with your avatar, the only way to properly progress your avatar in any meaningful fashion is to give the game more money. We have a program. Do we? Okay. And of course, with the program, Aaron gets to do the introductions. Go. We got Bacon. We. We got Justin. Yo. We got Aaron Rand Freeman. We're doing ad space. ADD space. Whatever you say, champ. What are we talking <laughs> about? Um. So, I don't remember on whose Facebook post it was. It was on somebody's Facebook post. Right. Oh, no. It was on Rod's Facebook post. And we were talking, uh, he was talking about um, redemption arcs. And some nigga had to bring up Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z. And so, I, okay. just, I just, I just need people to know, especially, Especially niggas, I need you all to know Vegeta is not a good dude. Vegeta gets a lot of leeway because when he blows himself up, he gives a sad speech about his son. And it's like, okay, cool. He's redeemed. And I'm like, that's not how a redemption is supposed to work. And like, I have so many issues with Dragon Ball Z narratively, but I've just learned that, you know what? I'm not coming to Dragon Ball Z for story. I'm coming to Dragon Ball Z to see people get punched in the face. Right! You watch Dragon Ball Z to get punched in the face. Oh, so that's that's why I'm here. 
but when we start trying to pretend that Vegeta is an actual, like, redeemed character, I have issues with that. So let's let's take let's take Vegeta's history. We're introduced to Vegeta after the death of Raditz, and if we're going by the anime, the next time we see Vegeta, he's blowing up a planet that he just saved out of spite. Yep. I he saved the planet. Even did it because he could. Right. There was no. There was oh, no. Yeah. I think they they mildly annoyed him after he 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 saved oh, the yeah. planet, liberates them from their fascist overlords, whatever. They, and it's like, hey, they were nice people. Yeah, they were. I'm going to blow up their planet. Wait, right. what? I'm still the bad guy. Yep. Yeah, I remember that. He just went, planet explodes. The next time we see Vegeta, him and Nappa kill all the characters that if you watch Dragon Ball, you spent the last three years caring about. Yes. That's the next time we see them. After he ties with Goku, that fight's a tie whatever it's a tie the next time we see him he kills one of frieza's underlings then he murders an entire village of innocent namekians That's right the next time we see vegeta all of planet namek yeah he murders everyone he murders the protectors of the four star ball after that shenanigans happen they team up with vegeta out of necessity things happen vegeta dies and he cries as he's dying because while he's still evil, he hates Frieza because Frieza, screw Frieza genocided his race and made him sad. Right. Regardless of the fact that he, for the last God knows how long, has been genociding races. The very things that he is upset with Frieza at, he himself has done. Not even an arc before. Right. It's, it's, it's in the same arc. Right. So he gives Goku the speech about tapping your same bloodline, blah, 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 be the savior of our race, whatever. The next time we see Vegeta is after he's resurrected and he is mocking the Namekians because only the Namekians killed by Frieza were brought back, not the ones that he murdered. And he's mocking them for that. Yup. So he, next time we see Vegeta, Frieza comes back. They're all like, hey, Frieza's here. Oh, my God, Frieza's here. And then Goku shows up, and he's like, hey, androids. And Vegeta's like, cool, I'll beat these androids, then I'll beat you, and I'll be the strongest. And Vegeta's motivation now becomes, I will be stronger than Goku. That is all he wants to do. The only thing he, it's the only thing he cares about. That's why he sticks around on Earth, so he can train and get better. He just happens to knock up Bulma in the process. I still don't understand how that happened, to be honest. It was like one day they're arguing and the next thing they're sleeping together. It was very weird. I don't know how it happened. Yeah, it, it just the, happened. It just happened. Like, that's one of the other things with like the Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z series is like there's no. Not only is character development non-existent, but character relationships are non-existent. So like. It really is just like, and now we're together. Yeah. What? It, it happened. When? It happened because Toriyama was like, "Huh, not enough women are reading my comics." Here's Handsome Trunks. Well, how does Handsome Trunks exist? Uh, he's saying, "Well, there's only one op There's only one way he could be half saying." Oh, right, crap. Right. And let's marry 
And like where he also actually, I like, you know, cares about Bulma and Trunks. He also cares more about being stronger than Goku. Right. And then. No, go ahead. I don't even know if his family comes before that. In Dragon Ball Super, he's turned... He's a completely different person in Dragon Ball Super. Like, Super just pretends that all of the horrible things he's done never happened. And right. then he's just this goofy dad. Right. No, and Dragon I'm like, Ball you know what? different. I'm I like, have... you know what? Sure. Sure. I'm here for this characterization of Vegeta because it's kind of funny. Right? Like, seeing him lecture Goku about being a horrible father, I'm like, you know what? I'm kind of here for this. Okay. As a father he's actually not a bad father well in super he's not a bad father no in well in super he's not a bad father in dragon ball z he's never really got the chance to be a father right he's actively neglect he only pays attention to trunks when trunks is like hey by the way you know goku's son can go super saiyan i'm gonna make you better than goku's son now right that's the only time and of course like goku only cares about it like goku like Specifically in Dragon Ball Z is like, Gohan, let's fight. And Gohan's like, I don't want to fight. Like, Goku and everybody else kept forcing Gohan to be what he did not want to be or do. <laughs> and so they go through the Android arc, they go through the Cell arc. Trunks dies and Vegeta gets pissed because Cell kills Trunks. And he's like, that's my son. It's like, oh, now you care? What? You've spent literally this entire time that you found out he was your son from the future belittling and berating him. Mm-hmm. Now you care. Now you want to be now you want to be a father? You picked now to be a father? Um so then after that, um, Kid Trunks, he trains Kid Trunks to be better than Goten. And then Majin Buu shows up. And everyone says, Oh, he sacrificed himself for Majin Buu. That redeemed him. Are we no. forgetting what? We're forgetting how we got there in the first place. We got there in the first place because Vegeta literally sells his soul to the devil so he can fight Goku. Literally. Knowing, knowing that, A, he's scheduled to fight Goku in a tournament. That if they just handle this light work, he can go fight Goku there. And it's not like the thing that they're, the, the current threat level of Bobbity and his forces. It's minor. This is a minor inconvenience for Vegeta, Goku, and Gohan. Go Vegeta actually gets upset that Gohan is taking too long with the light work. He's like, guys, come on. I, I'm scheduled to fight your dad here. Are we really going to take this long doing this? And so Vegeta says, I will sell my soul to the devil and possibly doom the entire world because I want to fight you. Then he does so, lets out Majin Buu. Majin Buu kills everybody. And Vegeta's like, oh, maybe I did a bad thing. Right. But redemption? Like that's, th th this is not, this is not a redemptive arc. Right. It's a and nice. And we really cannot count Dragon Ball Super because Dragon Ball Super retcons all of GT and a chunk of Dragon Ball Z. Like, completely retcons it doesn't exist. We cannot count Super. Super is like brand new does not count he's a completely different part like from super 
from the start of Super, from the end of Z to the start of Super, he's a completely different person. Like, he's right. completely different. Totally different. So, but if we want to talk about, there is a redemption arc in DBZ that's actually done pretty cleverly. It's Piccolo. Thank you, Piccolo. Okay, also, like, I am also, like, another unpopular opinion. I'm 99% positive Piccolo is not black. What do you mean not? Like, the actor isn't? We know the actor isn't. No, I mean, we... I, don't, I don't think he's even supposed to represent a black person. I mean, we know that. We, we drafted him. Right. In the racial draft. No, no, no. Y'all drafted him in the racial draft. Others legitimately think he's black. Oh, no. I thought... I... This may be my ignorance, but me and my friends, because this is when like we got into DBZ when Chappelle's show was popping. So it was like, oh yeah, racial draft. We'll we'll trade at the time it was Clarence Thomas for Piccolo. Like we'll make that trade. It's, <laughs> it's, it's easy. It's light work. <laughs> That's funny. I feel like we got value out of that trade. Everybody got value out of that trade. Um, but yeah, no. If you well, watch people talk about it seriously, like you see this a lot, especially with like a lot of anime characters, like, oh, this is black, and I'm like, actually, I think that's a racial archetype of Indian. Right. Uh, what year yeah. did Dragon? What year did we meet Piccolo? What year was the was Piccolo introduced? Oh God. God. In uh, America or Japan? Japan. Because you would have to go back to Dragon Ball because Piccolo what? is like the main bad guy of Ball, one of the bad guys. Ball Park it, guys. Uh, like early 80s, I'm going to ballpark. Hey, no way. They put no goddamn niggas in no goddamn anime in 1980-whatever. Especially early 80s or whenever, Dragon. No way. Yes, we claimed him. But yeah, it shouldn't be. you shouldn't be trying to intellectually assume that Piccolo is black for any other reason than niggas like Piccolo. Full stop. That's wild yeah. that people do that. I didn't know that people were actually serious about it. I thought it was like the Black yeah. Bart. I thought it was like the Dragon Ball Z equivalent of the Black Bart Simpson t-shirt. No. Yes, like that's that's what I was I, mean, I was I mean, assumed. Yes and no. There are some people who are like, yeah, I get it, no, but like honestly, like watch how people talk about it. Right. Oh. You know what? Now I'm afraid to watch people like right. seriously talk. It's it's like when when Black Panther came out and we were all doing Killmonger is right. Those were jokes. But then I realized though people were taking this seriously. They actually believe that Killmonger is right. Right. No, exactly. It is exactly, it is exactly like that. And I'm just but like, my, I've just been sitting here for years going, Piccolo's not black. Um, but so Piccolo's <laughs> redemption is actually done really cleverly in Dragon Ball Z. So Piccolo's father is one of the biggest bads of Dragon Ball. He kills Krillin and Chaozu, and I think he kills Master Roshi. Yes. Everybody um, He... Like, he's just bad. Oh, Krillin has died so many times. Yeah, that was the, that started it. No, um, Piccolo didn't kill Krillin. Piccolo's underling killed Krillin because Piccolo was just being a dick. He got tambourined. I remember this now. Um, by the way, check your Twitter, Bacon. So, biggest bad, did all these irredeemable things, but when he dies, he spits out an egg and his son, Piccolo Jr., is born. The, that's who we know as Piccolo. The next time we see Piccolo, I think it's like in one of the World Martial Arts tournaments. He's not really evil. He just wants to kill Goku because you killed my daddy. I'm going to kill you. Right. Then we see Piccolo in Dragon Ball Z. And he's like, yo, 
Let's team up to beat Raditz, because I'm pretty sure if this guy, pretty sure he can kill me too. And uh, I'm not a dummy. He kills Goku and Raditz, and then he says, cool, I actually get everything I want. I kill my main competition, and I kill uh, my main rival. Today's a good day. Then he learns Earth is going to be destroyed or visited by two stronger dudes, whatever. He's like, okay, cool, I got to prepare. He kidnaps Gohan because his plan is I'll use Gohan to save the world. Then I'll kill Goku with his own son. Poetic justice. As he's training Gohan, he learns to actually care for his well-being beyond, hey, this kid's going to help me take over the world. And we actually see a bond form between the two. And then he dies saving him. That's an actual redemptive arc. Like we see Piccolo over the course of training Gohan learn to care for Gohan and care for another human being. And if you think about it, the only evil things Piccolo has done is be Piccolo's son. He doesn't actually like actively torment or torture anyone from the main cast. He's just, yo, you killed my dad. I can't sleep on that. Right. No, he he specifically doesn't believe in torture. Like that. That goes that goes against his thing. He literally is like, okay, and now you die. And that's that's how he's always been. Does Piccolo Jr. even get a body count in Dragon Ball? I don't think he kills anybody. No, I don't think so. Yeah. No, I don't think I don't I don't don't think he tries. He just goes after Goku. Um, anyways. So we actually see him become a better person and learn to care for humanity and actually learn to respect Goku, right? That's an actual redemptive arc. This is someone atoning for the sins of his father through the son of his rival. It's actually really clever when you sit and think about it, right? Also, as he gets stronger, he gets stronger specifically so he can help protect. Gohan, yeah. Yeah, specifically so he can help protect Gohan. And I think he even helps out Chi-Chi, too. I guess those are canon because he drew them. There's, there's a the the cover gags. There's some of them like Piccolo stopping by with groceries or whatever. Oh yeah, that's true. I'm yes, those are canon. I'm. Um, yeah. So this is this is Piccolo becoming more than what his father was. It's an actual redemptive story. Vegeta feeling sad that he doomed the world and his son is not redemption. That's just, I feel bad because I'm now getting my comeuppance for my actions. I did a bad thing and and I, I knew it was bad. And now I feel guilty about the bad thing that I did that I didn't care about at the time. Right. Like, it's this isn't a Darth Vader where, Darth Vader, where Anakin was emotionally manipulated by Palpatine. And then he finally just says, you know what? Screw it. Right. Like, that, that may not be... Well, that's why he also has to die because redemption equals death. But he he finally breaks free of the the psychological hold and says, "Cool, I you're not going to take my son from me, right?" Like that that there there is somewhere in the Vader story, not the one in Return of the Jedi, but somewhere yeah. other authors have actually told a better redemptive story with the pieces George Lucas had. Um, I think it's really interesting that some of the best storylines, especially out of the Star Wars universe, came out of people not George Lucas. George Lucas had a lot of good pieces, not necessarily a lot of good ideas. It just didn't have a good way to narratively tie things together. I don't think that was a strong suit. Right. 
Same thing. Like, there's no there's no way you can tell me he planned for Luke and Leia to be brother and sister and have them make out the movie before they revealed to be brother and sister. No, no, I don't think so. No, but the the only problem that he the off topic, but the only thing that he does that bothers me is that he talks about like in the some grand scheme when it's just like, nigga, you were flying off the, by the seat of your pants at some of this, and it's really telling. It just happened to work for you, right? Can we just be honest about this? I mean, it's cool. It like like it, it it's fine, but. Your story got away from you, and that it happens to authors. It's actually an entire writing style. What basically George R. R. Martin does. It's also why he's never finishing those books. There's no reason yeah. for him to finish that book. We're not talking about this because if he does not finish those books, he will be murdered. No, he won't. He'll be, no, mur- he won't. He'll be, he'll he'll be murdered for finishing. finishing right. When everyone reads the book and they're like, oh, what the fuck? They're going to hate him for two no, decades. No, 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 no. There are two different camps of this. Right. There are the people who are specifically needing him to finish the unfinished storylines that have not been addressed. Mm-hmm. And they will either be, they will be the ones to murder him if he does not finish the book. They sound less toxic but, than the people who want a thing but don't like it when they get it. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, no, this is different kinds of evil. Um, one's just more quiet than the other, but they're both as deadly. Um, the other ones will, after it, it, after he finishes the book, but our fans are the show and then who then read the book, they'll be the ones to stab him when he does what they don't like. Right. There's no reason for him to finish the book. There's just two different camps here. There's no reason. But if he doesn't finish the book, I'm 99% positive Brandon, like if he dies without finishing that book, I'm positive that Brandon Sanderson is going to finish it. Okay. Brandon Sanderson will somehow live because he has this magic ability to finish unending series for other people while writing his own massive series. That The man cannot be human. Well. I, I don't know if you've read Brandon Sanderson, Justin. The, I was going to say, for the audience, who the fuck is Brandon Sanderson? Uh, he is a white dude who writes some of the most epic high fantasy novels I've read in my life. His his writing is just amazing. Like specifically in the high fantasy realm, it is just amazing. He can write a a thirteen hundred page book, and the entire book is compelling. Wow. Right. Tell like, me more. Yeah. So um, I'm gonna recommend his Mistborn trilogy first. Uh, just fantastic. Um, if you can read a lot of pages, like that, like holy shit, it's just. So good. And the magic system that he comes up with, that he uses in it is just I, I haven't read a magic system like that. It's um it's it's like a really like kind of like physical um magic system. It's very interesting. Like um there's specific different kinds and like like some people have like are are just like really strong. Like their power lets them just be really strong while others it makes their bodies dense so they can just take a million hits. And I forgot what the names of each of those. Then there's others who can um, move their body by essentially pushing their body off, like, like magically pushing their body off of objects. 
So like what they'll do to like jump, like do a super jump is they'll throw a coin. And the act of like throwing their coin lets them like propel their ma- it, like propels their body away from the coin so that they can just keep moving. So then so And then there's others who can physically pull their body away like pull their body away from ever, anything, but it's like different different magics. Right. That's really cool. It's really, really cool. So it, yeah, he's he's so, um he also finished the Wheel of Time series when uh Robert uh is that yeah, when Robert Jordan died. So Again, there is no reason for George R. R. Martin to finish the book, as there is literally someone on the bench, a high volume score, ready to finish his books when any it, it all he needs is a word, apparently. From what you tell me, all he needs is the word and a nod, and he's ready to go finish Game of Thrones in probably a superior fashion. Listen, all I'm saying is he can overdose on cocaine and and it the the series will be fine. It'll get finished. Oh. All right, well, Yep, you know, that's good. Because George is a poolside. No, he's probably it's probably nighttime. He's probably driving the Lamborghini to dinner. But it's good to know that he ain't thinking about y'all. And frankly, y'all don't have to think about him. There we go. We reached the resolution. Everyone, yes. I'm Peaceful just saying resolution. I'm just saying one way or the other, that man is going to be killed by a fandom. Nah. <laughs> if he doesn't <laughs> If you, oh god it it is not okay how he left off that last book like it still makes me upset I'm it's ex- just not okay i'm excited for a fan to make a run at him and then the cyber ninja to uncloak and cut that fan in half at the waist and then the cyber ninja all of a sudden turns around and cuts him he's not gonna cut him as you know i mean that's a you're, you're a thirsty fan he ain't writing shit for you you just gotta make peace with that he don't give a fuck about you. He's rich. And also, he knows better. He looks at the internet. There's no reason for him to put himself up for that level of scrutiny for the next for the rest of his life writing something that ain't going to please nobody. So. I don't think he cares. Right. That's the point. He doesn't care. That's my point. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think he cares about scrutiny. Oh, right. I, no, I think he has. I think he actually wants to finish the book. He just has massive writer's block from the way he writes. Sure. And I hope those I listen and I hope that my tie that he's going to order in about six minutes helps him out and inspires him. And I hope the Instagram model that he's drinking it with helps inspire him. I hope that she becomes his muse and helps inspire him to um, finish the book. I just need to know about zombie Caitlin. Well, like I said, maybe you should drop a drop a DM to Destiny Fernandez or whatever her name is, and maybe she'll um, you know, maybe she'll get the ball rolling. Maybe she has his ear. Who knows? I'm just saying he doesn't seem like he's too concerned. So we're gonna make peace with the fact I, that he's not concerned. I'm just saying that You you need it, yes, I understand. Security guard is gonna die. What? His security guard his security guard's gonna be the one to kill him. Okay, guys don't care. They all getting paid. We're in a recession. Ain't nobody doing nothing to him, especially on the payroll. Ain't nobody got no money. I say they are not fucking up the money. Right. Cyber Ninja's fine. In fact, the security guards have incentives to not have him finish those books because honestly, once they're finished, they're going to protect him for what, maybe another year or two? Then it's like, we don't care about you anymore. No. No, once he, they're going to have to be out here like, um, 
What's his fucking name? He writes all the horror novels. Because some oh, of these... Stephen King? Yeah. Because, who boy, he's got some fans. <laughs> his but, fans are scurry. I mean, that they are. They are scurry. Oh. So, he's never safe. Um, you were saying tangents happened. No, ta- this was a good tangent. I wanted to talk a little bit. So we talked about like an actual redemptive arc within Dragon Ball Z, but I also wanted to, like there, there's more than one way to redeem a character, right? You don't have to like make them necessarily a good person. You can make them an empathetic figure. So time for me to spread some One Piece propaganda. No! It's oh. worth it. Trust me. Ah, uh, okay. So... Which arc is this? Oh, right before, it's right before Sky Island. So Luffy and the Straw Hats are looking for information on how to get to Sky Island. They come across this place called Mock Town. The whole, the whole, how Mock Town gets down, they're a town where pirates show up, flash some cash, and feel like big shots. That's the whole game in Mock Town, right? Pirates show up, they flash their cash. That's what keep the town's economy running. And they incentivize this by like mock actively mocking anyone that shows up. And it's like, oh, you're mocking me. Bam. You don't check the bankroll, check the watch, check the chain. You don't know. You don't even know what you're saying. I'll buy this whole bar out. That's how they get like. I think I got the bar. Um, so one of the pirates that's there flashing his cash is this dude named Bellamy. We're introduced to Bellamy at the beginning of the Sky Island arc. He's playing poker with another infamous pirate. And he loses, and the guy says, cool, you lost all your money, but, you know, if you want to go to the next hand, you can raise your shirt. And as he's going to collect the money that he won fair and square from Bellamy, Bellamy stabs him in the hand and says, you cheated. He, he calls to his boy at the bar, who has not watched the single thing that's gone down. He says, hey, didn't he cheat? Oh, yeah, I saw him cheat the whole time, not even looking at the table. He said, yeah, he was cheating the whole time. So the pirate's like, dude, what are you doing? And then he murders the guy that just beat him in poker. That's how we meet Bellamy. The next time we see Bellamy and his crew, they've bought out a hotel. They're, you know, being big shot, they're being big fish in a small pond, whatever. You know the types. They see Luffy and like, man, this dude, look, look at his shoes, whack, his shirt, whack, his hat, whack. Here's some cash. Go buy yourself some nice clothes, whatever. They're mocking Luffy. Luffy's like, man, whatever. I don't got time for this. I'm trying to get to Sky Island. Bellamy realizes that Luffy's actually a pirate of some renown. And he says, okay, cool. I wanted to test you. Let's, 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 you know, have a practice fight, whatever. I want to see how good you really are. Cause I want to see if you're good enough to join my crew. And Luffy's like, I'm not getting down like that. We're just trying to get to Sky Island. So after the CEO trying to get the Sky Island, Bellamy gives a really great villain speech about how dreams are stupid and pirates that have dreams make a mockery of actual pirates. To be a pirate is to be about being the strongest. It's not about dreaming of treasure. It's not about dreaming of adventures. You just have to be the strongest. So when I hear people talking about dreams of treasure and islands in the sky, it pisses me off because you make us real pirates look bad. And so Luffy's like, all right, man, whatever. 
So Bellamy beats the crap out of Luffy. Luffy's like, man, we're not even going to fight this. This shit ain't worth it. It's a great callback to Luffy's mentor, Shanks, when Shanks was getting uh, trashed by these bandits. And he's like, yo, dude, you can throw a drink on me. You can do whatever. Some fights just aren't worth fighting. And that small time, it wasn't worth it. So Luffy now looks at Bellamy like, yo, you're just a small timer, whatever. The next time we see Bellamy, he's robbed someone that Luffy's actually gotten close with, robbed him and hurt him very badly. So Luffy's like, okay, you hurt my friends. And I'm not going to sleep on that. So he shows up to Bellamy. Bellamy's talking cash shit. And he's like, fine, cool. I'll put you in the ground this time. And Luffy knocks him the fuck out in one punch. It is one of the more satisfying punches in the whole series. Because this dude has been talking cash shit since we've seen him. We've been conditioned to not like him. The next time we see him, he gets his shit checked. And it is glorious. Like there's an imprint of Luffy's fist in his face. He gets shit checked so hard. We don't see him again outside of the story for six years. Yeah, we don't see him again for six years. The next time we see Bellamy, the time skip in the time skip in universe has happened, and we see him in the next area. And he says, yo, I actually went to Sky Island. I've been there. You know what? That shit you were talking, you're not half bad. I'm not going to laugh at you anymore. I respect you. And it's like, okay, this is weird coming from Bellamy. And we see Bellamy still a bad person. He's still an evil person, but his worldview is kind of shifted. We learn a little bit more about Bellamy. His whole thing is he idolizes this pirate named Doflamingo Don Quixote. He says, yo, this dude is the strongest dude I've ever seen. It is my goal. I just want to, I just want to, I want to serve him. And Doflamingo's like, I mean, whatever, kid. You can tag along. It's cool. Doflamingo says, you know, if you want to be a real part of my gang, kill Luffy. Luffy's trying to fuck up my shit. You kill him, I'll let you in the club. Of course he can't do that. I mean, come on, not going to beat the main character like that. So... Doflamingo hires people to kill Bellamy. And then when Bellamy finds this out, he says, no, that can't be true. Doflamingo respects me. And he's like, no, actually, I don't respect you. You're nothing. And he beats the shit out of him, like savagely beats him. <laughs> like, I don't care about you. And the way he gets beaten, it's like, yo, you don't, I don't feel bad that you're getting beaten like this because you're kind of a dickhead. But damn. So then... The confrontation happens and Doflamingo's like, nah, Luffy, I'm not going to fight you. Bellamy's going to fight you. But you just beat Bellamy. Yeah, I'm going to control him using my ability. Like, he's, he's, his ability is he can make strings. It sounds useless until you start thinking about what you can actually do with strings you can control with your mind. He hooks them up to Bellamy and controls him like a puppet and makes him fight even though his body's, like, wrecked. <clears throat> and so Luffy's like, yo, this shit ain't funny. Like, let him go. Give me the 1v1, bro. I was like, nah. I actually want to do this. This makes me happy. Hmm. And then he cuts the strings and Bellum is like, no, I want to do this for myself because that's the only man I've ever respected. And you can see like what's actually happening is Bellamy's basically trying to fight Luffy so he can do suicide by cop. Hmm. And Luffy's like, yo, I'm not going to fight you. Clearly you're about to die. You're a dickhead, but like, we don't have beef anymore. I don't want to do this. And Bellamy's like, okay, cool. You got two choices. Either let me kill you or kill me. That's the only way this is going to end. And Luffy shit checks him the exact same way he did when they first met. And it doesn't redeem Bellamy. 
but it gives us a whole new perspective on his character. We actually see him grow as a person while not actually redeeming him because he's still a dickhead. But you empathize with how this dickhead got to this place. We see this dickhead actually grow and expand his worldview and he still gets his shit checked and we like that he got his shit checked, but we're like, yo, we we can't enjoy this too much because like this is this is sad. That's another way you can tell a redemptive story, right? We're not changing his character. We're not saying he's suddenly a good guy. We're just giving you context. What you do with that context is up to you. It's like Azula in Avatar. Azula is holy shit. We're but, introduced to Zula as like this cold, calculating, everything Zuko isn't. Except for as, she is just as like traumatized and a victim as he is. She Right. She is every action that she is doing is for the approval of their father. Exactly. The she, father physically abused Zuko and emotionally abused Azula. And it gets right. taken up to 11 in the comic where Azula's like, oh, mom's still alive? Let me finish the job. So daddy will look like it. It's fucked. It's so fucked. It's so bad. And Azula just didn't have the same kind of circle around her that um, Zuko got later. And Azula never had, you know, uncle or right. anyone but yeah, he and he also like their father also like, you know, twisted her like against Zuko. Like, you know, that's yeah. something that abusers do is that they will like, you know, pit the children against each other. Um, so they can't find strength with each other. And it definitely, definitely worked. Oh man, but like, so she's like this horrible monster of a person, but at the same time, like the more you find out and like when you see her like just break, it's it's heartbreaking and it's sad. And she's definitely a villain who like you, like when she's defeated, you just, you don't feel good about it. But I don't think you're, you're, you're not supposed to feel good about it, but no. it's, it's just sad. And it also, her defeat doesn't make her a good person. It just adds context to her character. Like, the comics expand on this. She's still evil as fuck. Right. Like, she even, like, acknowledges everything that her dad did. And she's like, but I also made choices to do this myself. Like, this is also who I am. Whether it's because of him or because of me, I don't care. This is who I am. There's no saving me. Right. So that, that's another way to, to approach the redemption arc. It's like, I don't have to make you on the good guy's team. I just have to add context to my readers to say, so they can look at you differently. Like when she's finally beaten by Katara and she is bawling and thrashing about like a wild animal, Zuko doesn't feel good about it. Katara doesn't feel good about it. And you, the audience, don't feel good about this victory. You can't feel good about it. And like that sort of pathos does not exist with Vegeta. Like it just doesn't. Right. It's a nice moment in a vacuum. It's not even but... a nice moment in a vacuum. It's just like, it's one of those things too. I think so much happens with DBZ that we like just forget these things, like these very crucial things. And I also need people to understand like there's, 
the story is just not good. We're just here for the fights and comedic humor. Yeah. But don't don't pretend it's anything more than that. Cuz it, it doesn't ha- it doesn't have that substance. <laughs> no, it's fun, but it just doesn't have that. It just it if we're talking about examples of redemption, we can't use this that series very well. Yeah. And again, or you can, it's just not Vegeta. No, it's definitely not. It's basically not any of the main characters. Cuz all the main like all the main main characters are pretty much terrible. Well, and then for the kids. And then in Super, they he tries to do this whole redemptive thing with Frieza, and you could tell he was like as he got to the end he was like, "Okay, yeah, this is actually stupid. I can't make Space Napoleon Hitler suddenly a good person." No, you can make him a bizarre person, but you can't make him a good person. Right. Sticking him with Beerus made sense. Yeah. That that's uh, where he belongs. <laughs> but let, let me just keep my eye on you. Let let's put him with the the other chaotic neutral god. The I can't believe I'm gonna say this because I absolutely hate how this series ended. Naruto actually handles redemption better than DBZ. Oh, yeah, it does. I also can't say Naruto, but it does. Um, like, like how they handle Sasuke at the end. While I hated how we got there, I understood the intent. And I was like, I get your intent. The execution, yeah, but I get your intent. This is the child. This is the child of war, the child of tragedy. Resolving that the only way to break the cycle is to break all the toys and then after he's broken he understands no i can't just come back like i I can't just be a part of the village again like i'll help you guys like i'm i'm on your side but i can't just come back i'm effectively a war criminal like i I gotta serve some sort of penance for what i've done right like you know what self-exile is a good decision yeah like, I, I, I get the intent of what they were going for. The execution was sloppy as shit, but that, that I gave them points on intent. Because I was like, that's, that's a, I wondered what they were going to do with Sasuke's character. Because I'm like, you can't let him live. But you just can't. If we're also talking about villains and like, re, like redemption arcs, um, uh, I'm really mad I can't actually remember any I can't remember her original name. I just remember the the name of like her the name of her her as a primal and her and her name that um uh, was given. No, not Izale. Um the Sugiyomi. Oh god damn. God damn. Oh that hurt. What yes. is so as, as Suyu and okay help, Suyu. and help me out with names. Uh, well, her brother was Akagi. He, don't remember her brother's name. Her brother was a horrible person. Her name is Yotsuyu. Okay, Yotsuyu is um okay. So in Final Fantasy fourteen in the Stormblood series. Um, Stormblood is basically a 
is two different stories that we've been waiting for for a long time. Um, it is centering... Um, the, the, there are people who are essentially refugees because the Garlean Empire has been taking over their land and their homes and have been forcing them out of their homes and they're refugees of war. And um, there's also just a lot of xenophobia and racism in the city of Alda, which is one of the three starting cities um, involving these refugees. Is that a good short sum summarization? Yes. <laughs> it's a, there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot um but throughout the first two expansions you hear a lot about the refugees in Alda and we've, and about the war and um the resistance and fighting the Garleans but you never there's nothing you get to do about it and Stormblood is you get to do something about it but to take to reclaim Alda you have to first save um the Doma Empire so that you can all push the Garleans out of um, out of Alamigo, which is essentially where, which is essentially like a, like a border town, like on that that's been taken over. And so, um, Tsuyu is a general under the Garlean um, emperor who is in charge of Doma, overseeing Doma. Well, so added context to Yotsuyu, she is a do she, well, she was a doman. Yeah, she, she was a doman. Her parents sold her into implied sex slavery. Um, and she went from concubine to overseer. A lot happens in that stretch. I'm glossing over a lot, but she becomes a pull yourself up by the bootstraps and bloodstained scabbards person. And her MO is I will never be treated that way again. I will inflict on them the same suffering that I felt. So this is someone that we see they are sadistic. They are cruel. They She makes a father murder their son in front of her for her amusement. Hmm. No, that's actually how we meet her. We meet her in the fishing yeah, town. Right? Meet her. <laughs> we meet her in the fishing town and something happens and she tells the father, okay, kill your son. And yeah, so like her her entire thing is like she really is. She will she will kill anyone who does not listen, obey her, amuse her or whatever. And again, her own family who were domains sold her into sex slavery to the empire. Like, and her, she also had a half brother who was also a horrible, conniving, manipulative, murderous little shit. Like he's- Yeah, Asahi, he's a- He's awesome. a dickhead. A dick. And like like um Azula willingly a dick. Um something happens and she loses her memory. Like 
towards the end of the game, like towards the end of like in in towards in some of the post game contact, and she loses her memory, and she's like a child. She doesn't she doesn't know anything. She doesn't know who she is, and so this member who specifically has been harmed, who he has been harmed by her his people have been killed by her he actually saves her and is taking care of her and is trying to help her live a peaceful life they have a they bond together her brother who is this awful horrible evil piece of shit specifically tries everything in his power to trigger her memories back so that he can turn her into a weapon. Which he does. But when she regains her memories and she does become this essentially like primal weapon. And I, she actually becomes the primal willingly when she gets her memories. But she doesn't just fight you to kill you. She's it's more like she's fighting for an escape. Oh no, it, that the whole fight is suicide by cop. Yeah, the whole entire fight is against suicide by cop. And she purposefully like isn't she the one who kills her brother? Yes, she kills her brother right like she makes sure like before she dies, like I'm killing you before I die. Right. Like, you just so we're clear. <laughs> you are I may die, but you cannot harm anyone else. And she and she really like does it like that, but like Again, like through, I, I'm, I wanted them to keep her as Suyu and so she could have a happy ending because like the things that you find out about her past are just horrific and it feels so horrible, but she, she really, and she really does. She's just like, I wish none of this stuff had happened to me. So I hadn't have become a monster. But the game also doesn't try to excuse it. Like it, it, right, it doesn't try to it at all it's a really clever thing with the writing in this game they make you empathize with the monster while still reminding you she's a monster and when they do the similar thing with yazel yazel specifically fights to protect everybody right like yazel gets a proper redemptive death so you you're just you empathize with the monster it's like putting down old yeller you know you have to do it but you don't want to yeah, Stormblood was all sad. <laughs> Stormblood was all sad. But yeah, so... Also, Stormblood with redemptive characters for Dola. That's a really interesting like case study. You have an Alamegan who effectively betrays her people. She becomes a servant of the Empire, and her whole, her whole logic is, if I join them, I can protect the people closest to me through subservience and by proving to them that I can be the best Alamegan I can be, I can protect everyone close to me. I don't care if they hate me, I'm doing this for them. And as a black person, that shit hit me a little bit different. And I was right. like, oh fuck. <laughs> right. As black people, I was I was literally like, I under I understand this. I understand this thought. Like, I mean I mean we we try everything. We try like, you're wrong, but damn if I don't Damn if I don't empathize. You are a hundred percent wrong, but god damn if I don't empathize. Yeah, like, everything that she does has always been for Alamigo, which is 
of course, like the rallying cry of Stormblood for Alamigo. And so you're presented with this person who says the best way to protect my people is subservience. By being the best, most respectable. I'm like, God damn, this shit hit different. I don't know. I don't know if that was the intended effect. Like, I think it was something along those lines. But, yo, that shit hit different. That that shit hit different. And again, when Fordola is arrested and thrown in jail for the rest of her natural life. You empathize. But she doesn't just become a good guy. She becomes like a conscripted soldier. Because she things happen. I'm not going to spoil that because that plays into Shadowbringers. But things happen to Fordola and she becomes basically a conscripted soldier for the resistance and they let her out of jail to handle like extreme problems. But when they're done, she gets thrown right back in the cage. And she doesn't and saying getting thrown. That's not quite. She walks right back in. Well, no, no, yeah, I take that. She walks back to the cage. Like they they have actually been like leaving her cage open, like come out. And she's like, nah. Yeah. Like she they specifically want her to come out of the cage and she's like, Nope, this is where I belong. Self exile. So uh again, stronger redemptive narratives. Aaron, you got any? You got words? You got you got stuff. No. You know why? Because I've not watched a single one of these programs or played any of these games. So this is all this information I've been frantically Googling while you guys are talking. And I will provide an overview for all the books and all the animes and all the games that came up today for people like me that don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But, yeah. Did we at least make sense? Oh, yeah, obviously. We did. Redemptive, <laughs> redemptive, redemptive story arcs are difficult to do. So, um, yes. But um, All right, so hold on. Before we get out of here, we've got one more example in my final bit of One Piece propaganda. Right. No! There's so many! There's many, but the last bit of One Piece propaganda. So in One Piece, we're introduced to the Navy as an antagonistic force to our heroes. Over the last 20 years, we're giving context to the Navy. Yes, the Navy is the military arm of the fascist monarchs. I think one of my favorite characters came from the Navy. But they're also not fascist themselves. They're trying to protect the people from the pirates. Because as we're constantly reminded, not all pirates are like our hero. Some pirates are legitimate threats to society. And so something happens within the Navy and one of the admirals who were introduced to by murdering his own people for their cowardice his 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 mantra is absolute justice i will i will do whatever it takes to achieve justice if you are not down for that i'll kill you too he ends up taking over the navy and when he does we the audience are like i mean i get it i don't like it but i see what you're up against i understand who's the guy who left the navy the guy that the guy that uh, the admiral the fleet admiral wanted Aokiji Kuzan to take over, but the drag the celestial dragons the monarchs wanted Akainu Sakazuki to take over. The guy that left the navy the ice guy the real chill laid back guy, he's like you know justice can be achieved but we don't have to be so hardcore about it. Now that I see the threats that actually exist in this world, I'm like holy shit how are you ever in charge? 
you can't be this laid back when you have people like fucking Blackbeard out there. Like legitimate threats to normal, peace-loving civilians. Like not the not the anti-fascist rebels who we empathize with. No, just general pirate dickheads. Like Don Quixote Do Flamingo, like fucking Kaido, Blackbeard. You need you need some. I get it. I get it. I don't like it. But I get it. I 100% understand. You can't let these assholes run around here unchecked. You need something. So. It's just, it's just ways you can contextualize your antagonist to your audience without making them the good guys all of a sudden. Like, good storytelling is all about context. It's all about framing. It's all about... Um, yeah, it's context and framing. That's what the narrative is. And you don't have to do the lazy Green Ranger route of, and now they're a good guy. So many more interesting things you can do. I thought the Green Ranger actually had context. Wasn't he under control? Under someone yeah. Oh, yeah, mind control. Yeah, mind, mind control, control, yeah. There you go. I know something. I knew that reference. I was like, the Green Ranger was actually under mind control and felt so bad about being under mind control that he started doing, like, good stuff and, like, constantly tries to make up for it. Wasn't he actually, like, aware of everything he was doing while mind controlled? Yeah. Yeah, I take that back. Yeah. Green Ranger, good redemption. Because it's like, yo, I did these horrible things. I wasn't responsible. Like, I was not actively doing them, but I need to make up for it. The Green Ranger has more, uh, has a has more of a moral compass than Bucky Barnes. Ah! Hey. That, oh. not wrong. What's wrong with Look, Bucky? man, you kill, you kill Tony's mom. You gotta at least let him get a punch in. You gotta at least let him get a punch in. But his hair, though. His hair can get a punch. Yeah, but you can't, like, you just finish conditioning your hair, as he's known, as Bucky has known to do 13 to 14 times a day. You can't be getting... Niggas hands up all up in your hair. You can't be getting dust all up in that shit. I'm just saying. Hey, you have to think about killed, big you picture. Mama. You got to think big I picture. I feel like that that whole fight could have been avoided if he just took one one punch. Bam. Okay, we're good. We're good. I had to get that out of my system. I know it wasn't you. I have anger about this, and now I can begin to work through that. Just had to punch you one good time. I mean, you're not wrong, but yes. And that is our program. Um, Bacon, how do people find you if they have their own redemptive arcs they want to suggest they want to submit since these are actions people have opinions on these. These are hot topics. They can tweet me on Twitter at B4C0N Zilla. Okay. Zilla with like some numbers in it. Or at UNF Fridays because I've taken the Twitter account hostage. So if you see random retweets or posts, that's probably from me. Yes. And I don't care. Um, Retweeting Amani's political stuff, that's me. We um trust we trust you to guide the official Twitter of the program um in the right direction in the year twenty twenty and beyond. Justin like liking random furry art? That could be anybody. Anybody. 
That really could be anybody who has the Twitter handle. Justin, how would people find you on Twitter? Uh, on Twitter, I am at LJAY90. Uh, you can also check me out when uh, when our podcast account has not been held hostage by Ash, and she's putting up polls about meth churches. You can find us there as well, at the number three, F-I-F-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. There's polls about meth churches? So on our last episode... Um, a church had to stop their toy drive because the toys were contaminated with meth because someone was cooking meth in the bathroom of a church. And the toys got contaminated. Okay, people, if you're going to cook meth, please cook meth in an isolated place, not connected to things, because it literally contaminates everything. Everything is into the ground. The whole foundation of the house has to be removed. Um. Um. Uh, too many apartment complexes had to get torn down back when I was living in Tucson because somebody in the building, even in the building next to it, was cooking meth. It's a common thing. It sticks to the walls. Like it, it, it's, it literally sticks to the walls, seeps through the walls, seeps into the ground. Why would anyone take a drug, um, a substance that can erode a whole building? Yeah, like it, it, it is like it's a massive, like the whole building has to come down. Like I understand I drink Coca-Cola even though I've seen it like dissolve a steak or a tooth or whatever they showed us when we were younger. But um, a building, <laughs> uh, drywall proper proper building materials um being ruined by this thing yeah like it is it is that hazardous that it like like you you can't live near it like you can't live in a building that has been or is near um a meth lab my god well um that is the um takeaway from the show um that is you take away from the program um if you um cook meth it will um contaminate the entire building so guys scientists chemists business people entrepreneurs dreamers in general keep that with you as you go through um the fresh new year 2020 and with that see you guys next week Here's your weekly reminder that the most delicious name in podcasting is also the most delectable name in the art world. Visit etsy.com slash shop slash lost in pandemonium for the latest prints, posters, bookmarks, notepads, and more from our very own bacon. That's etsy.com slash shop slash Lost in Pandemonium. It reminds me of an ancient African proverb, help bacon by cake.